Welcome to the Cincy Postcast. I'm your host, Kevin Wallace, and we have an awesome episode lined up for you. For one, it's match week. Finally, we've made it to this point. A Philadelphia match looms at the end of this week. So in this one, we've got a two-parter for you. In part one, it is FC Cincinnati news. What is the latest on Aaron Bupenza? The other injuries around the club, a certain someone got a nice contract extension and more. And then in part two, well, the other two bozos joining me in this podcast, so they've, they've got a punishment to serve, and that punishment is served this episode. You put those two together, and that'll be your postcast. Joining me to talk about all of that and more, I'm joined by two gentlemen ready and excited. Finally, for match week, we've made it through the the wilderness that was the MLS postseason schedule. Chief, how are we feeling now that we're in the week? I'm just ready for some soccer, man. I'm just yeah. ready for this postseason to get going. I mean, you've got... The Twitter admin for FC Cincinnati outright stating the the obvious. How have you guys been dealing with no soccer? It's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Ask your bosses why this was the case. This is garbage. Um, feeling good. Right. Uh, I'll be very eager uh, to get through this week. I am a noted hater of Thanksgiving. I think Thanksgiving is the most overrated of all the holidays. I find Thanksgiving food to be mostly bland mush. That's overly carby, uh, not my not my cup of tea. So I, I just look to survive Thanksgiving, and this year it is kind of nice. The one benefit of this playoff format is that while I am forced to eat, you know, turkey, which is the objectively <laughs> the worst type of poultry, um, or you know, you know, bird product, and stuffing and gelatinous cranberry and all this crap that nobody eats. Outside of Thanksgiving, there is no other time of the year that anyone eats this because no one really likes this food. While I am forced to do this twice at two different households because wife's family, my family, I will at least have the prospect of a Saturday FC, uh, FC Cincinnati game to get me through this. So I'm happy we're here and I'm happy at the very least that if we had to suffer through this, there is that light at the end of this horrid family shitty food hell that is thanksgiving so i like thanksgiving food but we're not going to have that conversation um but um because you you would just be wrong no, it would just we, be easily we're not, proven we're not going to have that conversation but i had a funny i had a funny exchange today um so we were talking to my mother-in-law who's um <clears throat> my my in-laws are are immigrants who did not grow up with thanksgiving um or Thanksgiving, you know, food or just that holiday in general. And they're hosting a bunch of, um, they're empty nesters. They're hosting a bunch of like their neighbors or going to a neighbor's. I wasn't quite clear for Thanksgiving. So like they have to like figure out like a, they had to figure out how to make like a traditional like Thanksgiving dish. Yeah. And my mother-in-law has found out about casserole. Now, mm, yeah, and the way she described it was so funny. 
She was like, do you know those cans that Andy Warhol used to draw? (laughs) (laughs) You you open them up and you pour them into a a pan and you just cook it together. Yeah, (laughs) nailed it. (laughs) I just love that the frame of reference is like, it's like, I've seen these at an art museum. (laughs) There's little, there's little cans that you said, it turns out there's something to them. There's something in them. It's very funny. Something inside them. There's a reason that he drew them other than just the cans themselves. They actually mean something. These images have meaning. I do love that description specifically. I think it'd be interesting to see like, what would be the best combination of strictly opening can and dump? Like what is the best dish you can make only using canned products? (laughs) This is also furthering my point that at no point during the year, do you ever like look across the table like when you have the inevitable conversation where your wife your girlfriend your husband your whatever it is says what do you want to do for dinner tonight no one looks in that conversation and says i don't know what about about if we go out somewhere and get a casserole tonight (laughs) nobody wants that the eagle serves like nothing but thanksgiving food I I would even suggest what is a three away if not a sloppy a casserole. casserole. <laughs> like the especially, eagle has been pretty strong running for a while. Especially and if you go four way, five way, <sighs> dangerously casserole. Well, then serve that for Thanksgiving. That would make Thanksgiving <laughs> exponentially better. <laughs> Cincinnati chili over the turkey. I mean, it can't be that bad, right? Let's you know what? That sounds like an instant improvement to this holiday. <laughs> A Thanksgiving oh three-way. Turkey, chili, cheese. A Thanksgiving three-way. I think that's the title of an episode of Dr. Cop, Attorney at Law. <laughs> <laughs> See where she gets one of her one of her doctor friends and one of her cop friends. And <laughs> See, she's got three professions. She in and of itself is a three-way, so this is perfect. <laughs> the menage a trois of CBS television. <laughs> <laughs> they love getting scandalous on CBS, let me tell you. Um, so we are here. It is match week. It is Thanksgiving week. And we've got, I guess, a little bit of FC Cincinnati news to to talk about. Somehow, some way, we will discuss this team. I think the biggest news here is, of course, Aaron Bupenza. Uh, we we upgraded the Bupenza watch to a Bupenza warning as he was in training this week. Very exciting moment for anybody, including ourselves, who may have been concerned that he would not make it back or make it back in time or even on time. Uh, but coming from Pat Brennan earlier uh, this week, Aaron Bupenza expected to return tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. But uh, this is my favorite part. Chris Albright said FC Cincy is supporting Bupenza after his dismissal from the Gabon national team during the ongoing FIFA window. More coming. Uh, Grayson, this confirms a lot of our priors. The Gabonese national team's a weird place to be, and things might not always be what they seem on the surface here, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Um so uh, Noonan was on Eric Winalda's Sirius XM show mm. on, I want to say Friday, and actually addressed this briefly, a little cryptically, mm-hmm. but he said, you know, um, 
he said, you know, Aaron, you know, may have been a little hard done by their, um, you know, there's two sides to every story. Um, and he said, you know, it was an issue that happened that wasn't their issue. It was a national team right. uh, issue. And, you know, he was expected back Friday night. He got back Friday night. He practiced on Saturday. Um, man, this is like another thing that like, you know, it's almost like it never happened. Yeah. You know, it's like you would not believe how much this never happened if he shows up on Saturday and and plays well. And I got to say, there was some distasteful, um, I don't want to say, maybe, I don't know if dunking is the right word, but I'll say there was some distasteful dunking, I thought, from some of the fans on various social media channels, seemingly ready to just, you know, write him off. Yeah. Buy out, like four years of his contract uh, and 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 lose out and lose the seven million dollar transfer fee like there's just like a lot of insane talk right and and if it's like we had no idea what happened with the national team right but it has it is a national team that has not been without drama you know in the past right so we don't know what happened with the national team. We may never know. But um, I think people need to chill out on him a little bit. Because yeah. most of what people think he did is stuff people imagined he did. Right. Um, and really the only issue that they've really had with him was the one time he went to national team duty and stuck around a few extra days. And if I'm not mistaken, no, no, no. Yeah. So he, but he, so, but, and they, they, that was October, right? And they sat him. Yeah, October, he came back, I think it was a day late. Uh, He was with the team and had a training session, I believe, before that next match. Is it a Philly match as well? No, that wasn't the one he was... Okay, no, That wasn't the one he was was sat for. Okay. But, but, you know, there was some delay in September getting him back before the Philly game. Yeah. But that seems to have not been a disciplinary issue because they played him. And they said there was like a flight issue, like his flight was delayed and there was only one out of, he was like flying via Europe, right? So it was like the flight was delayed out of France or Portugal or something like that. And then there was the time, I forget which game it was that they, that they like sat in, was it the Red Bull game at home? It was. After winning the Shield. So there, there seems to have been between Toronto and that game, some there was some disciplinary issue. I don't remember what it was, but like yeah. the the, po- the point is that while there's been international travel delays, he's not the only player who's had international travel delays. Right. Um, it seems like he got back on time. Um, after after this one, 
Yeah. And he was back in training on Saturday. And Albright and Noonan have both publicly backed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would just stress, I guess, like, when you want to, if you want to criticize the player, be very, I think you need to sit down and, like, make a list of, like, what are his actual things that are documented <laughs> incidents? Right. And what are things that I've extrapolated right. in my head? Right. And right now, like, the, it, just, it just is wild how quickly it seems some people are, like, ready to, like, move him on, you know, at a massive loss to ownership. Or... And again, I'll say it because I've, I've seen multiple people say this on social media. The idea that they were going to buy out a guy who's making seven figures a year and has four years left on his deal after just paying a seven million dollar transfer fee for him <laughs> is that's that's wild. <laughs> they, they, that was that, there was no way that was ever on the table, no matter how bad his behavior has been. <laughs> right. And you know, based on actual publicly reported facts. There's been limited, discrete right. behavioral issues, which could easily be chalked up to just, you know, growing pains, getting into a new team. Buying his contract out was always just an absurd take. I mean, now you could have convinced me. So like there's the, the important distinction here is that I don't blame anyone for their instant reaction to this story when the news dropped that he had been suspended from the Gabon national team for failing to show up to training on time. If your instant reaction to that was, you know, something akin to, you know, just a Jesus Christ, what? Especially on the heels of failing to report back to FC Cincinnati on time, where we were told and the story was that he gave a mea culpa to the coaching staff and to the uh, the technical staff, and everybody said, it's okay, it's behind him, he understands what he did wrong. To have this story drop again, I don't fault anyone for the thought being like, what the hell is this guy's problem? Now, with the information that has come out since, if you still have a problem with Aaron Bapenza, the problem is on your end, not on Aaron's end, because the team has been pretty clear at this point that um, they're not holding this against Bapenza. And the, the way that the statement was worded from Albright was, was interesting. And the statement from Albright was something close to, you know, we're still learning how the Gabon national team works. We have a better idea of how Argentina and Colombia work. We're not quite as mm. up on how Gabon works. And reading between the lines on that a little bit, you get the sense that the statement that they're making without making is that we know how to deal with federations that are professionally run. <laughs> We're not quite as used to dealing with federations that maybe take a few more liberties or maybe leave a few more things unsaid or handle things a little differently than the top flight professional organizations. They're not going to come out and criticize Gabon because number one, that would be a bad look for the club. And number two, they wouldn't do, want to do anything that would ever be perceived as hurting a player from playing or right. hurting a future player from playing. But that's as close as you're going to get, I think, to an admission from Albright that the fault, if there is one, lies with the, the national team and how the national team handled this and not with their player. 
So if you're still on it with Aaron, get off. Just it's it's not worth it. He's 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 a striker. Strikers are weird. Strikers that are good strikers are usually a. you need a little bit of head case to be a great striker. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) he's a little bit of head case. And as long as he keeps scoring goals like he has been, this isn't even a thing of as long as he scores goals in the future. If he just keeps doing what he has already been doing. Right. You're going to see this every so often and you've just got to get over it. This is the price of dealing with world class players and world class strikers. Yeah, and just to be clear, and I, I kind of, I kind of butchered the, the facts a bit myself a moment ago, so I just want to correct that. So it was the October transfer, the October international window, where Bupenza didn't return to FC Cincinnati on time, so they sat him for decision day. Okay, um, and that was when uh, they made the statement right bef- right around the time of the lineup drop. Um. That's right. But, you know, as as Chief said, the latest statement out from the team is that they're good. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, hand up, you know, we we were doing some friendly fun speculation here on the podcast uh last episode about him partying or something like that. Like we said then, too, there was a coup that went on in Gabon. I don't know what his family situation is or or what could be happening there. Obviously, the weird politics of the team is its own thing. There's so many other things that it could have been as well. And yeah, obviously, if the team is behind him, who are we to not be behind him? And I will also take a moment to differentiate this from, say, what we saw with some of Brenner, uh, which is Brenner. Brenner showed a, uh, a, I don't know, was behaving in such a way uh, that demonstrated he did not want to be in Cincinnati or playing for FC Cincinnati. Now, sure, some of that was like career aspirations wanting to move on, but also like didn't seem that thrilled to be here period. And say what you will about Bupenza, when he's on the field, he is trying his ass off and the effort is generally rewarded with output. I mean, not the highest bar to clear, but Pat Brennan again uh, over the weekend uh, put up on Twitter, you know, Bupenza's first 12 games compared to the other uh, attacking DPs in this club's MLS history. Uh, Bupenza's six goals stands pretty far and wide above everyone else. Lucho had four goals and three assists. And then you get to Brenner with three goals, Kubo and Lacadia with two goals, Adi with a goal, Alan Cruz with two goals in his first 12 games. Um, but I mean, in terms of a goal every other game for your DP striker, you can't tell me his effort isn't there, that he's not trying to win for this team. So was, if this uh, team is behind him, I'm behind him. Was Pat including Adi's, uh like games in USL when he also wasn't scoring? I bet you could give Adi 24 games and you still end up with maybe two goals. So, <laughs> so um, the, the thing about the, the, the Pat Pat's tweet is the other thing to keep in perspective is, um, you know, Bupenza joined mid season mm-hmm. and he's probably had a lot fewer minutes over those 12 games than, um, the other DPs did, man. Yeah. It's like every single one of those, uh, listed joined at the start of a season and had 
at the very least, everybody else on that, you know, sort of early season front foot as well. I know uh, Lacadia was kind of a late signing there, but. Now it stands yeah. out that um, uh, Lucha was good. Yeah. Right away, even in, even in 2021. And that's worth pointing out after that stat. Um, but uh, the last thing I guess I'll say about Bipenza is you brought up Brenner. I mean, we don't, I don't think I don't think the situations are necessarily comparable. Right. Um, if you're one of the let's see, we have 12 listeners now. So let's say six. If you're one of the six listeners who was listen, has been listening to us since the very beginning, um, you'll know that I was a pretty staunch defender of Brenner. That's true. Uh, through his entire uh, tenure here. I'll say Chief um, and I were not. <laughs> to put it mildly. And, you know, we're talking about somebody who demanded to be let go, essentially, on close to a free yeah. before Noonan's first season, held himself out, you know, essentially gave up half the season of 22. Mm-hmm. And gave up nearly the entire time he was here in 23 due to, you know, essentially a refusal to play. And yeah. he was really good when he was in the team regularly and focused. Yeah. Um, but he would have been better <laughs> if he had made himself available yeah. the entire time he was under contract. Would have been nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, like Bupenza has been sat, you know, the Atlanta game due to disciplinary reasons. But we don't have examples of Bupenza just choosing not to make himself available for selection. You know, right. you could say that he's constructively. No, if, if anything, you, you could say that the Atlanta game, I guess, you could say he constructively made himself not chosen for selection. But like we saw in Philly, like he's totally willing to show up at 1.30 p.m. Yeah. off of an international flight and play. <laughs> and let's talk about let's talk about this situation here. Like he willingly, willingly came back to Cincinnati early by doing something that screwed up his chances to play for Gabon. That's a commitment that he came back here early to be ready for this this playoff game uh, with and, FC Cincinnati. And, you know, if he wasn't committed. He could have said, look, it was Gabon's choice to to release me from the roster, but you wouldn't have me here, you know, for a few days anyway. Right. Right. So, you know, if I just if I just chill for a bit, you know, like no yeah. harm done, right? Right. But he came back right. for peace a out sing- of, peace out, I'm going to Ibiza. <laughs> but he came back for a for a one day training session that uh, came immediately after a break and came right before a two day break. Yeah. Right. So getting here. So, you know, he could have taken, I guess, like a couple more days to get here and mm-hmm. just missed one training session. Nice. But yet he was still, you know, able and willing to get here for that Saturday training session. And now he's going to be here for the whole week leading up to the game against Philly. I yeah. think there's value in that. And yeah. we should we should recognize the value in that. 
Absolutely. And I, I, I'm perfectly honest. I really thought he would take advantage of that. <laughs> I thought I didn't expect him back as quickly as he was back. So uh, that was great to see that tweet, the, Carter's tweet. Yeah. The real, the real problem here is, I mean, there's a lot of real problems here, but the real problem here is that because this league doesn't get the amount of press coverage and the amount of media access that other leagues get, it really does limit the opportunities for players like Bapenza to tell their side of the story to a large extent. Like in most other sports, the NBA or the NFL, if there was some issue with a player, the player would find the reporter, would talk to the reporter, and like they would get their narrative out there. We would have an open locker room after practice, and the reporter would be able to say to Aaron, hey, tell us what went on at Gabon. Is everything all right? Are you good? And then Bapenza would give an interview and say, yeah, no, it was really stupid. The coach really has an issue with how I was doing something, and they got mad that I was late for jogging on the field or whatever it is, and the story gets out there. But because this league just doesn't operate that way with the level of openness that other American sports do, which is you know cultural to soccer, and also because a lot of these players have a language barrier where they don't feel as comfortable communicating in English and um, Bupenza speaks English by all accounts, but we don't know what his preference is in terms of how much he likes to do English language interviews. Mm-hmm. It just makes it tough for the, the stories to get out there that I think would be helpful to some of these players trying to combat narratives like this. And that's just it's a unique MLS problem that the league would be wise to solve at some point, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, also, to put it in perspective, uh, Aaron Bupenza transfer fee seven million dollars is making a hair over uh, one million. Actually, we got that partway through the season, so he might actually be closer to two million dollars a season for I his think, base salary. I think what, what they think? reported. I think what they reported is probably the full year number. Okay, based on how other players that joined. Part of the way through the season, okay. were reported, but again, he's, like it's hard. So in that case, he's around one point two five million, right, give or take. Yeah. So to put that in perspective, uh, the last NWSL franchise fee was fifty million dollars. The one before that was five million dollars. Salary cap this year for the NWSL was one point three million dollars. Uh, for the cost of Aaron Bupenza. Uh, to buy him out and to eat that transfer fee for what would have been nothing and very little production uh, over that. You could have had an NWSL franchise and paid all of the players' salaries for five years. <laughs> just just in case people were wondering, like, oh, just buy him out. That's nothing. It's like, okay. Or you could have ran a women's franchise for half a decade. Like, that is the, the amount of money we are talking about here. <laughs> Yeah, and the other thing too is that like Albright would not have would not have survived. No, well, I mean, you like you can he'd have survived, but I'm saying like you, there would have been strike one on Albright if they were going they went to Linder and asked him to eat that kind of his money. Next, That's, his next EP is much smaller. <laughs> don't forget that they don't forget that they took a loss on Brenner. Mm-hmm. Um. Didn't get hardly any of the, I think, $4 million in change that they um, spent for Atanga. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I always forget. There's a number of other players on the roster that represent 
fairly hefty transfer fee and salary numbers, like they're not going to get any transfer fee back for Acosta, right? Right. They're not going to get any transfer fee back, or they're they're unlikely to get a significant transfer fee back for Obi, right? Because they signed these guys for long term deals and they and they're paying them, and the team has right. certainly shown willingness to spend. But there's a difference between a willingness to spend and a willingness to you know just flush nearly $10 million a year down the train on transfer fees with no return. Yeah. And uh, they, hopefully yeah. they start to see some return and you can get into like the good kind of cycle where you're spending money in some places, but the money's coming back in in other places, mm-hmm. but they just haven't, they haven't done that yet. Uh, not, not for nothing. Uh, they also spent close to $400,000 this year buying out Kenneth Vermeer. <laughs> Which oh, yeah. just cracks me up that 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 happened. So there you go. Um, so they, that's the they also got they also got to they also got to save money to eventually buy out Yuyakubo's lifetime contract. So that's going to be a hefty penny when you look at what he's making and project that out over the course of the remaining fifty to sixty years of his life. What's yeah? What's the expected uh, life expectancy of a professional athlete from Japan? It has to be like a hundred and two, right? Like that is yeah, a- it's not going to. It's not going to be good for the actuarial tables there. He's he's in good health by by all means. He, he's really hurt. Um, <clears throat> did they buy out Adi? Uh, I think technically, but they like waived oh, yeah. him. So, so it's just like waivers, the, but but they still you know they paid they still, his salary. They, they, they just paid, split it with Columbus. Yeah, well, I think Columbus paid like eighty thousand dollars of it. So they right. paid well. like one point six million dollars, <laughs> right, of his salary for a player that did not play for us that year. It'd be really fun to look at like the dead money under Nightcamp and the corresponding players that could have been spent on. And if you build like an all-star team of six million dollars in dead cap money the last couple of years. Ah, good stuff. Uh so that is the latest we have on the Bupenza news. Um so he is Fine and settled in, which is all good. Uh, other notes here from training uh, that I want to uh, that I want to quickly capture here. Um, we're keeping an eye on a couple of other players uh, as well. Uh, working inside uh, was Santiago Arias and. Um, Obina Woboto, uh, Brandon Vasquez, and Don Baji were doing individual work, uh, which is, I hope, code for their working one-on-one with Dom Kinnear, the striker whisperer, get them in shape. But whenever I see players working individually, get, get a little uneasy. Uh, there was also uh, Alvis Powell had popped up on one of these reports I can't find at the moment. He's back as, at full training, I believe. Okay, okay, great. But he had been... Out. I think didn't he miss the second game? He did. Second he was hurt, game. Yeah. And um another tidbit from the uh Noonan interview with Eric Winalda was uh Noonan said that um if they had played a third game, he did not specify who, but we can guess who based on who hasn't trained. He said if we'd played a third game against Red Bulls, we would have been missing several players. Oof. Um but he's his hope was that with the extended layoff. That they could work these guys back in. Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with, in particular, Obi and 
Arias. Yeah. Those are the two. I think what they really two. need to do is they, yeah. need to get, they need to get Nick Hagland to go see Aaron Rodgers' doctor and inject him with whatever the hell Aaron Rodgers is being treated with, where they're saying he's going to be back from his torn Achilles before the end of this football season. That just feels so irresponsible. But hey, I I, I don't know. I don't know nothing about nothing. I'm, stand, I'm staying woke, though. I don't think he really tore his Achilles. I think that he's Ooh. conspiring with everyone to make his pseudoscience medicine work and that it was just a really bad sprain or something like that. And it's he is doing this just so that he can get the pop for, see, I didn't follow your traditional medicine and look what I did. Wow, that's good. Especially if he like does well for the last handful of weeks, maybe the Jets sneak a playoff spot. I, I don't know. I think they're probably out of it at this point. But like comeback player yeah, of the year, they're cooked. Yeah, um, we're all in agreement though that that Obi like that has to be the one yeah. that comes back, right? Like if it's yeah. if mm-hmm. they don't have Obi and Miazga, this is this is going to be a very very difficult game to win. Yeah, Obi's the one to keep an eye on, and then obviously Arius is. Sort of the the cherry on top of this team. He he certainly makes a lot of things go easier. Uh, certainly frees up uh, Barial on the left side as teams kind of have to respect both sides of the the defense, both sides of the field there. Uh, but yeah, this this team and honestly the result against Philadelphia may come down to Obi's health and. That seems scary, but if he's ready to go, if we've got a ninety percent OB and he is healthy and and able to play eighty five minutes, then I think we win it. And if he is unable to suit up, coin flip at best. Like I, I really think that's that's where this comes down to. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know what well, else I don't to wanna, say. I don't want to get. I don't want to jump on the next episode and start previewing Philly, but. <laughs> But heading into the week, right? Um, you know, nothing we can do about it. But the news to follow is where is Obi during uh, training? Yeah, and that's basically what we've got to be keeping an eye on here. Um, other than that, I mean, let's hope we don't have another uh, Nick Haglund situation who got hurt in training before the uh, the playoffs. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just basically need everybody to stay healthy, uh, stay alive and, um, yeah, just survive the last little bit of this international break and get these guys back into training camp, uh, later on this week. <sighs> right now, vibes check Sunday night. How are we feeling? I, we will definitely do a, a full preview later on, but how do we feel right now, chief? I mean, if you're going to say vibes check, we got to mention too the other bit of news that broke <laughs> yes, we while do. we were on hiatus. <laughs> Fr- great friend of the postcast, Evan Evan Loro, not one, but two years of an extension, <laughs> going to be with the Orange and Blow through 2025. You love to see it. You just absolutely love to see it. The vibes guy of FC Cincinnati being uh, honored and being recognized for the incredible vibes that he brings to the team. I don't think it's a coincidence that this extension comes on the heels of a penalty shootout win for the FC when we know that he's the guy that is out there taking extra PK work to try and get these guys in shape 
to take penalties. Um, I I had the biggest grin on my face when that news came across my timeline. Evan seems like just an just a dude, just a, a, a dude's dude, good soccer bro, and love to see it. Especially in light of the fact that there were um, to go inside the bit a little bit. Uh, rumors swirling around in the postcast discord that Evan's house was for sale. We all thought this was foreshadowing that um, he might be on the move away from Cincinnati. We were very sad about that. Turns out in the article that uh, Carter wrote, that was an absolute must read. Uh, he was going to flex his newfound financial freedom to buy a larger house for his growing family. So it wasn't a sign of him leaving it was a sign of him putting down even deeper roots, and that just warms my heart. It was a sign of him committing to Cincinnati, right for the for for the next for the next few years. Um, I I would, um, so I would encourage everybody to read Carter's article. Yes. Um, you know Carter's been really doing great work with the various player profiles and 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 things he's been putting up on the website. Um. But you know, I want to I want to mention one thing without going over the entire article. But Evan does kind of shrink from the vibes guy uh, label in the article. He balks at it a little bit, and you know, he just says, "You know, I don't show up thinking like I have to rally everybody. I just try to have a good time." And you know, all due respect to Evan. That's how a real vibes guy operates. Yes. A real vibes guy is somebody who is just yes. naturally, you know, good to be around and a good presence in the locker room. It's not somebody who feels like it's their responsibility to to keep everybody um, in good spirits. I mean, think about like your office. Who do you like being around, right? The people that are just good people to be around? Or like the supervisor or manager who's constantly just trying to pump everybody up right. and is yeah. putting, you know, crap on LinkedIn that's, <laughs> you know, all, all chipper and sending, culture. sending, yeah. sending right. office, you know, full office emails with a bunch of exclamation points and emojis, uh, you know, like. <laughs> you, you know, the ultimate fake vibes guy was the ultimate fake vibes guy was Jameis Winston. Uh, quarterback, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, now with the New Orleans Saints. And a fake vibes guy is a guy who, you know, he gives one speech to the locker room where everyone is like, oh, man, that was really, really good. And then feels the need. Oh, oh, that's my personality now. I've got to be the hype guy. And then before you know it, you're on the field in New Orleans stuffing a W into your mouth (laughs) while Deshaun Jackson looks on from the background like the fuck is this guy? and that's a fake vibes guy. You're trying way too hard to fire yeah. everyone up. You're trying way too hard to be the guy, the real vibes guy, the one who's just like, I'm me. I don't, I don't go, I don't go to put on a show. I don't go to, to hype up the boys. I go to hang with the boys and the boys seem to want to hang with me. And that's, that's cool. And the other thing too, is that with, with Evan, I understand why he bristles at the idea that he's a vibes guy, because he's also 
objectively really good right. <laughs> as a player. And when you label someone as a vibes guy, there's sort of an unsaid bit that, well, you know, he might not have the skills to play, but he really is good and he's a good person for the culture. And it's kind of a damning with faint praise kind of thing. Yeah. And what's interesting about the way his contract is set up is that he's going to be here for two years. I think there's a non-insubstantial chance that he goes into 2024, that we go into 2024 with Evan as the number one backup to Roman, and Evan will be the guy that plays the Cups, and then they either go and get a younger player to be the third keeper that is the shuttle and the transfer between FCC2 and the main roster as needed. But I think Evan may be the Cup keeper next year. Yeah, Yeah. and you know, I know we have we have not seen Evan play with the the first team, but we do know unequivocally that Evan was better in USL than a number of keepers. I'm not going to name them who were starting games in MLS this year. Yeah. So yeah. that's that should not go. Um. That should that fact should not be missed. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, I mean, Ben Lunt got three starts in MLS for, for St. Louis, and he was he was the guy I felt like was absolutely slighted for FCC. Um, Grayson won't name names. I will. Um, so uh, no, I think this also uh, sets up nicely for yeah. The we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get to this point, but I think this paves the way for a future without Alec Can. It seems likely he will be given the opportunity to compete for a starting job elsewhere in the league. Uh, looking around the league, looking at people who might need a goalkeeper next year. Atlanta United. One, Atlanta United <laughs> makes so much sense to just bring him right back. Uh, they're probably kicking themselves they didn't have him this year or last year. Um, so that that feels like a real natural fit to send him back to Atlanta. It looked like him, you were you were going to say something. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, just it's it's good. Like the it's it's he's deserved a little better than what he's had here. It's through no fault of his own. Right. I don't think when he signed here, they expected that a generation Adidas keeper would fall to them, and that this player would be absolutely game ready on you know week one. So hard done, but I think that he'll find he'll find work easily in MLS elsewhere. Yeah. You asked originally, Kevin, about the vibes, and we got off track on on Evan as the vibes guy. <laughs> we did. And that's uh, fine. The vibes are the the vibes are nervous. Yeah, we'll. I'll see how I we I feel when we preview uh, Philly. But um, this this is where it's real. This is one and done. This is single elimination soccer. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd feel a lot better if the team was fully healthy and we were going to have our full complement of regulars available to play this game and uh we don't so yeah yeah um is it paul walters is that the the young keeper that's over with hoffenheim right now he feels like you're number three for next year just to just to round it all out so um so yeah no there we go uh is there anything else for fcc that we might have missed or Oh, not FCC, but needs to be said on this podcast, because uh, I don't know where else we will mention it. So I will mention it now, and, and this will include an open invitation. Valhalla FC 
a Ohio Valley Premier League team uh, played Chicago House, formerly a NISA team. I think they are also in the Ohio Valley Premier League, maybe not, uh, for the uh, 2024 Open Cup qualifications. They lost that match. Uh, had they won, they would have punched their ticket to the 2024 Open Cup. However, uh, great to see a local team getting close to the Open Cup. Love the amateur sides that do get a chance uh, to do that. However, it needs to be said that Valhalla FC plays the lights of Cincinnati after their matches over the speakers. This was the suggested song by Pat Brennan on this podcast. There is a fringe movement to make it still the uh, the celebratory song after wins for FC Cincinnati saying goodbye to Mr. Brightside. A local team did it. One, how have we not heard of these guys before? And two, how do we get them on the podcast? <laughs> I just want to know, are, are they fans of the podcast? And is this where they got the idea for the lights of Cincinnati? I want to know if they're listeners. Be a hell of are a they coincidence. One of the dozen? Be a I hell of a know, coincidence. I want to know the story behind, behind the song. Um, but, you know, I do. I don't know. I tried to find like the names of like anybody associated with this team, but like there's none on the website. I didn't try very hard. I probably could have, but um, if, if somebody has a, if somebody has a, a, a link to them and we would love to have, you know, one or more of them on the, on the show to talk about the team and what they're doing over in the Ohio Valley premier league. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that was that was great. When that popped up, came across my timeline. I was like, well, this feels like does the does the Ohio Valley Premier League have pro rel, though? That's the real question. Are they like the real Premier League? (laughs) I pet peeve and nothing against Valhalla FC Uh, leagues calling themselves Premier when they are objectively anything but drives me insane. I'm not asking for you to call yourself the crappy league or anything like that, but like Ohio Valley Soccer League uh, feels fine. Ohio Valley Regional League seems fine. Premier League? Really? Uh, every youth team is the premier this, premier that. They, they all How can can't that be. be. A pe- How can that be a pet peeve, though, when over in England you have the Premier League but then you below that, you have the championship, which is decidedly not played for the championship of England. Below that, League One, which is objectively not the first league. And then below that, League Two, which is not the second league. So there, it's Soccer tradition. names are dumb. It Soccer dumb. names are dumb. It is dumb. It is all dumb. Um, you're talking about a cut. You're also talking about a country where the website for... Um, <laughs> for the league is MLSsoccer.com. The S in MLS standing for soccer. The website is ML, MajorLeagueSoccerSoccer.com. And you can pay for it at an ATM machine. So, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if I were in charge of English soccer, I think I'd, I'd do a rebrand of some sorts. But no, always remember the Premier League was the first breakaway Super League. And if you're a fan of a Premier League team and you hate the Super League, you're the problem. So there you go. Um, that'll do it for part one. Part two... <laughs> I mean, if you come to the postcast for FC Cincinnati news, 
Uh, I'll sign your permission slip to stop listening now because it becomes very much not FC Cincinnati after this. We've got two gentlemen here that owe the listeners, all 12 of them, a punishment. They both committed uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, and they need to be they, they need to atone for their sins. And so we will be doing that in part two. This episode is also brought to you by Cincy Shirts. Look, you know Cincy Shirts. You love Cincy Shirts. They've been with FCC from the beginning. And we here at the Postcast, we're just huge fans of their work. They were very early sponsors of the Postcast here. And we have always enjoyed their work. If you head on over to CincyShirts.com, that's Cincy with a Y, Shirts.com, and check out using the promo code ThePostCincy, all one word, all caps, you will get 10% off your order and you let them know that we sent you. Like they have MLS and MLSPA licensed FCC gear available online and at their two retail locations in Hyde Park and Fort Mitchell. If they don't have your size on the shelf, they can print you one on the spot. That is a fantastic feature and something that I have used as well. So again, special thank you to Cincy Shirts. Head on over to their website or check the link down below in the description for the promo code ThePostCincy for 10% off your next order. And a huge thank you to Cincy Shirts. All right, we are back in part two. And if you're sticking around, this is on you okay uh we have here two of my co-hosts have i'll say let slip a word that we do not say on this podcast that word being a name that name being censored uh <laughs> so uh to pay the the swear jar uh both grayson and chief uh watched a little film over the weekend and are here to provide us their book report. Chief, you were the first offender, so I'll let you uh, intro this. What did you watch? <laughs> so, uh, as penance, Grayson and I were directed by ourselves, because this is entirely a prison of our own making as a show, to uh, watch a little film, a right-wing propaganda film done by director Dinesh D'Souza, a former, uh, I believe he worked in the Reagan administration before his mind turned to total mush. Yeah. And um, the movie is called Police State, a, we'll call we'll put the documentary in quotes, it's a documentary about America's fall into a pseudo-fascist police state that uh, uses police powers, federal powers, and the, I guess, deep state powers to mm -hmm. spy on American citizens and persecute American citizens for their political beliefs and their political agendas. And, you know, I watched this movie, I went into this movie with an open mind, and my top line review of this movie is that Grayson, we've got some real problems in this country and we have some real patriots that are behind bars right now that we need to talk more about. Yeah. So, um, the movie is ostensibly about, well, it's, it's ostensibly about how the people involved with January 6th have been unfairly persecuted. Um, what a take. What it's what it's really about is 
Dinesh D'Souza committed um, campaign finance fraud. That's right. And had to report to like <laughs> to like a halfway house a couple times a week for a couple years as uh, as his sentence for fairly blatant campaign finance fraud. And um, he actually admits or he doesn't really deny in the movie that he did it. So <laughs> no, they, like, they like, gloss right over yeah, that. So like, a lot of the movie is about um, the FBI, like entrapping people or prosecuting people for like political things. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a ton of stuff glossed over, but if you watch it closely, he just kind of slips in like, they caught me and I'm mad that I was convicted and had to do anything for this. And what it reminded me of is when I was in high school, I got detention once for skipping uh, the lunch line when it was really long. And in the time in my detention, I was so mad about it that I wrote an essay about how we were like under the thumb of these like automaton functionaries who were just <laughs> who were just obsessed with like um uh enforcing like their little arbitrary rules so that they can like feel powerful um and this was basically that <laughs> but by like a 50 something year old man uh <laughs> and it was 2 man. hours long um so yeah, that's that's the, my the title of Grayson's essay. Summary. Incidentally, was the title of Grayson's essay. Incidentally, was the catcher in my rye. <laughs> um, and then I guess I guess one other one other overarching thing I want to say is it. So a lot of the a lot of the movies about um, how the FBI is bad and how the FBI is mistreating uh, citizens. Okay, um, I'm pretty sure there is no mention of like COINTELPRO. Martin Luther King, right. Malcolm X, <laughs> the, Fred the Hampton, actual crimes, <laughs> the Chicago Seven, or like anything. Because what he do, the movie. So according to the movie, the first bad thing the FBI ever did was Waco, which was the ATF. I was going to say that but, was the ATF. Right. right. So I guess Ruby, I guess Ruby Ridge. He does. He does say that he does admit. Well, no. What like, he says. Waco was what he ATF. says is that. What he does say, what he says, though, is he says that the real start of American security apparatus betraying America was the Patriot Act following 9-11. It's like, my man, there is a proud history in this country <laughs> of the FBI, the NSA and the CIA being directly involved in domestic politics. So I was trying to figure out why they were calling out the Patriot Act. Like at yeah. first, at first I was like, I was like, he was like leading up to, him. I was like, clearly he's going to talk about the Patriot Act. I am sure I could find him writing an essay at some point in time about why the Patriot Act was good. hundred percent. Yeah. But what, but what they do is there's a picture of, I'm not even sure it's the signing of the Patriot Act, but in the picture is Robert Mueller. Ah. And the, in the, like, they zoom in and focus on the fact that like Robert Mueller was in the room or involved in the Bush administration when they passed the Patriot Act, even though he was just like, I guess, I mean, he was the, I think the director of the FBI at the time. Yeah. 
and he, but like he, yeah but so the point of it was to was to was to make us scared of the Patriot Act by associating it with Robert Mueller because the target audience of this movie um, just kind of knows that Robert Mueller is like a guy that does witch hunts. He's one of the bad guys. Yeah. Right. It would have been great to juxtapose that with like the squad not voting to, you know, renew the Patriot Act and feel the, like, oh, wait, now, I'm, the, now I've got confusing feelings. <laughs> the, the problem with there's many problems with this movie. It starts off with the fact that the person that he goes to that he spends the majority of the time like as his other filmmaker is Dan Bongino. Oh. who was like it was like yeah. a, he's a right wing talk show host and he goes to him as a subject matter expert on governments, police. And it's just it, it would be the functional equivalent of making a movie. And it's like I call the foremost expert up Tucker Carlson on this subject and we riffed and wouldn't you know what the conclusion we came to was um but there's also like most documentaries there are a lot of interviews with people that have been personally affected by uh. various things and whatever and there's one long stretch of the movie where he uh attempts to tell a sob story about someone who was involved in the january 6th riots and the only person who would go on camera to talk about how sad this was, was the person's aunt. And like when the person, when that happens, you know that this, he was turned down by literally every other person in this person's <laughs> life until he found the crazy aunt on Facebook that, you know, is the one pushing the shitty right wing memes. And he's like, ah, yeah, she'll have something to say to me on camera about this. What was, what was sad to me, but that was actually, so for me, that was like the most, most, well, other than the beginning, the beginning ruled, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, that was the most like emotionally affecting part of the movie for me. But I just felt really bad because they're describing somebody who clearly had struggles in life that they're just glossing over mm -hmm. and likely struggled with, like a lot of people do, likely struggle with some very severe I think I think even they even maybe even briefly mentioned he had like a drug problem at some point. Um, mm. and what instead of like doing a dive into this person's kind of you know tragic but tragically common circumstances, we just talked to his weird Facebook on. <laughs> like, yeah, you can you can tell that story without. The weird relative interview. Uh, was Ashley Babbitt's mother interviewed at all? No, she's... but they do point to where Ashley Babbitt was shot. Oh, okay. He talks to this. Um, uh, you can bleep this uh, if you want. Uh, Republican uh, congressperson <laughs> who takes him on a tour of the uh, one of the most. This this movie has some of the most unsettling looking people that you've ever seen. Like there's one there's there's one guy who I can only describe as like the wettest person I've ever seen who keeps who keeps you know showing exactly up. You're talking about yeah, he just keeps showing up. Um, there's a guy who just like kind of says like he's the guy who like describes like the FBI raiding his house um, because he had assaulted somebody walking into an abortion clinic. Huh. Um, he talks about I don't know if it was the he talks about the FBI coming to his house. And going out front and saying, like, there's seven babies in there. They never explained why there's seven babies in this guy's house. It's a lot of babies. <laughs> what does he do? Like, why does he have 
like I don't what is <laughs> like what is I, I think I gather that he just like has seven kids of like various ages. Oh, and he's just calling them all babies. He's calling they them all babies. I'll they accept also, that. That's fine. They could be fur, they could be fur babies. He could just have a lot of dogs too. It's a good point. Um, there's a scene where somebody it's it's totally unexplained where there's like a a January six coded guy just like in a prison cell, and um, it's like kind of shows him just like in the cell, and a prison guard comes by and to give him his food, but before he will like give him his food, he shouts. Mask on. It makes him like has to put, put his put, his, put mask his mask on. on, even though the door of the cell isn't being open. They're right. just opening the food <laughs> slot. But just the idea of like, no, they're going to make you wear a mask even in prison. Yep. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. So let me ask do. you this about the movie: Is it a documentary in the sense that it is tracking these changes and it's heading towards a bad thing, or is it trying to paint a hypothetical future and it's like... No, it's the this movie is unapologetic with the idea that we are currently living in a police state. Oh, we're state there. And the, okay, okay. We're there already. And it makes very liberal use of the definitions of what leads to a police state. Um, there's a lot of... There is way, way way too much reference in this movie to uh, the Third Reich and the rise of Hitler and a lot of parallels to modern society about things that the Germans did okay. in order to keep control of society. He no, compares he full the on, Reichstag full fire to January 6th, but in like a way that like... So the way he describes the Reichstag fire is it was actually caused by communists, but okay. it was used as an excuse for Hitler to like... Right. Grab all these powers, which I guess makes it a parallel for January 6th in that um, his people actually did it. I mean, isn't the better parallel 9-11? Because then the Patriot Act right. is your actual grabbing of power. But then they also did, they also kind of hinted at uh, January 6th being driven by... um. By a federal agent, yeah. By people, Epps was his name? Yeah. The, were they, what do they? What do they call that? Um. Oh. Uh, wait, um. Well, shit. Uh, crisis like, act. No, it's not a crisis actor. False flag. Well, yeah, but it's like a false flag type thing. I, I can't think of the term right now, but it's like somebody comes in and they're there basically to rile the crowd up and spur them to violent action to give the police an excuse. Oh, oh to crack down oh. on them. It's a, uh, oh my God, I know exactly what you're trying to say. Well, anyway. An instigator. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's some a, type of instigator. Something, yeah. It's some sort of like false instigator or something like that, right? But they don't like really go anywhere with that. And like the people, like the people they talk about, like really did it. So like, I don't know what, <laughs> what point you're trying to make. Um, but there were yeah, a lot of people. If even half of them were faking it. They're still the other half. <laughs> so they, it, it is like we're in a police state and the police state is run by um, uh, uh, fragile college students that want safe spaces and minorities. Oh. And actually there's a, so one thing, so uh, Yunmi Park shows up, who's like a pretty well-documented liar about uh, she may be like mentally ill in some way. I don't know, but if she's like making stuff up, but she's a pretty well documented like Carissa liar Thompson about uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about 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 like conditions in North Korea. And, but she makes the point she was like, 
she says that because of like woke college campuses, we're just like North Korea, except oh. we're actually worse because people can change genders here. Had she taken the North Korean government up on their offer to go back? <laughs> I assume there is an offer on the table for her to go back. I, <laughs> um, but it's a the perfectly nice gulag with her name on it. <laughs> right. I thought the movie was going to be better based on the beginning because the movie starts with this dramatic scene. Oh, with um, the family having their doors kicked a, there's in. A, there's a, like the most. <laughs> They're all like, praying at the kitchen table. Yeah, the most like white Christian suburban family you've ever seen. They're all just like praying at the kitchen table and talking about how like they're law abiding and, and all that stuff. And the FBI shows up and just knocks down their door. And there's like this like really dramatic raid. And um, all the FBI agents are people of color. Oh, and like <laughs> they're all nice doing touch. horrendous. They're all doing horrendous things in this guy's house. Like they, first off, not only are they people of color, they've got their hats on backwards, yep, backwards as they're hats. going into the house. <laughs> and like it shows them like it shows them ransacking the dude's house. It's going through his wife's underwear drawer, and he's holding up like a thong that he found in there. They clearly make a point of showing that they're pulling out this guy's service medals from the military. Wow. <laughs> it was the opening scene of this movie is phenomenal. The only so that's where this movie is the best. This movie is the best when there are little moments where they're clearly dramatized and they've got like actors playing people. So they have the actors playing on the FBI raid. The guy who's the head US Marshal in the show Justified is in this movie. <laughs> wow. He plays like the, he plays the FBI the head like FBI guy who identifies and chooses to target Dinesh. Wow. Yeah, and he they've they've it's the same guy I think where when they have the scene of Trump being elected president, like he expresses dismay in as a, like an act he's acting in uh, this dismayed and shocked fashion that our plan is ruined now that Donald Trump is here <laughs> as president. <laughs> Man. I love that that a career FBI agent in uh, Mueller is also. Yeah, that's great. I love I love that. So th my number one takeaway from this movie was that I really, really wish I had the money to make a version of this movie about Soccer United marketing and MLS from the point of view of like a pro world truther or like world soccer talk where you know it's, it's me, making this, me making this movie and it's 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 dramatization about how the pro-rel movement has been crushed in this country that the uh that the, they're supporting a capitalist regime that's taking soccer away from the people and you can have interviews the crazy people on this one can be like you know kartik from world soccer talk chris harris from world soccer talk ted westervelt from oh. soccer reform ben fast oh um, the dream team Rock Rocco Camisso um, talking about his lawsuit against U.S. soccer. The uh, guy who Silva. owned the New York, who owned, yeah, Silva that owned the Cosmos. Who owned the Cosmos? Was that? Uh, that was Rocco. Uh, that was Rocco and Silva, Silva owned the Miami, Miami FC. Yeah. So, like, yeah. so you would have all of these characters, you know, some people from the Northern Guard at Detroit City FC. <sighs> <laughs> like, Dude, have I an mean, entire film in this exact style. It would be it would be electric. 
even if it wasn't this style, because I'm assuming there's some degree of production value with this film, um, you could do like a zeitgeist or loose change, like just panning on images with scary voiceover style. The, for the, sure. dr- the dramatic scenes have some production value. You know, I got to admit, the interview scenes terrible are bafflingly <laughs> shot. There, there's he, a, there's he, one he, set he's of constantly cutting to himself. Making the strangest like faces and body contortions while he's listening to people. <laughs> so, what was your what was your favorite um, shot that they used for talking head scenes? Was it the inexplicable on a balcony overlooking a first floor lobby where there wasn't enough room for the camera? So, like the camera had to be looking at like Dinesh through a doorway for how they shot this, or was it the interview with uh, Rand Paul? where his staffers had clearly said, you have 15 minutes with the congressman and we're going to have to do it outside on this balcony because he's not going to where you want to shoot this at. (laughs) Senator, sir. Senator. (laughs) Sorry, whatever. Don't besmirch the great name of Rand Paul. (laughs) Yeah, like it was it was it was inexplicably shot in terms of where all these people were interviewed and how they were framed and where the location was. And I can only imagine it's because very few of the people he was interviewing actually wanted I liked the scene. I liked the scene in the kitchen talking to the two blonde moms. And it talks about so it it talks about them in connection with like the the parent teacher conference people that that go up and they yell about like students using uh 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 litter boxes and stuff. But like That's real, by the way. And it sure. Um And so it talks about, but they, they talk about the, the, like one of them getting arrested and it's all done in the context of that kind of thing. And they mm. do look like women who would be doing that kind of thing. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I looked her up and no, she like broke into the local board of elections and tried to help somebody hack the voting machine. <laughs> <laughs> Like, 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 if these are your heroes and you're worried about living in a police state where, let's say, I don't know, democracy is called into question. I but don't they, know. They totally <laughs> let you believe that she had gotten, like, arrested for talking about gender stuff. <laughs> well, you know, the, the breaking into the Board of Elections only gave them the pretense for the real crime they wanted to prosecute her for. Right. Just a mean, a mean tweet or two. I, I will say... This is, uh, D'Souza is a funny one for me because like in a, uh, in a previous life, uh, I, I knew D'Souza as a, uh, Christian apologetic. That was his whole deal back in the day was that he was out there arguing the, the rational case for Christianity and, and God and all of that. And he was the uh, president of King's college, which is a like Christian liberal mm-hmm. arts school in New York that is. I I mean I'm sure Pennsylvania I think right uh, no, it's no, in New York it's in like the Empire it's in the State heart of the beast. or something yeah Ooh. it's in Manhattan but it was um there's probably more on... than one King's College but the one that Kevin's talking about <laughs> yeah is in Manhattan but uh, he 
<laughs> so he had to resign from that one when he was the president because he showed up to these uh, like conferences with this woman that he was introducing as his fiance and he was like staying with at these conferences. And he was very much married to somebody else at the time. <laughs> so that was a little, little awkward for the old D'Souza there. So. Hey man, when you're a... <laughs> and you're a top dog Christian apologist and running King's College in in, in the greatest city in the world. They they let yeah. you do it. <laughs> yeah, they let you. Do it. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's just a slow slide from like respectable public intellectual to whatever the hell it was you guys just watched. Man, <laughs> I'm gonna go I don't, on the land. I don't regret. I don't regret watching it. Nobody um, should watch it, though. But don't watch it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I, we got, I, I have like, I have like a, a special kind of brain worm that makes watching movies like this very funny. <laughs> but like, if you're at all normal, spare yourself. Yeah. Especially if so much of like the real story is forcing you to go four or five pages deep on a Google search to find out like, wait, what was this woman actually arrested for? Wait, who is this guy <laughs> actually? Like, <laughs> yeah, you don't need that in your life. <laughs> uh, well, final thoughts. I don't know if you had to give it a letter grade, if this was presented to you as a uh, senior project of some sorts, I'll let you decide if that's a high school or, or college project there, chief. What, what are we giving it? Uh, we're gonna give it a give it an old D minus. Okay. Um, it's factually and grossly incorrect in its characterization of how life works and how history works and what is happening in this country. But there are some really entertaining dramatized scenes, and uh, I give it the D for just being very earnest and committed to its own concept. So. Well, yeah, there it is. Well, Chief gives it the D. Uh, Grayson, what would you give this this film? Um, so I, I think it, I think it it kind of is owed two different uh, grades. Mm. I would say as a film, as an objective work of art, it's an F. It's terrible. But, okay, but if I was grading this as a woke professor who ascribed to postmodernism, mm. uh, I would have to give it an A because he's manifesting his own truth here. He is certainly <laughs> expressing himself. You might get him to rescind the A if you explained it that way. <laughs> uh, no, no, Professor, I would like to fail this class. Thank you very much. No, this is actually true. This actually happened. This is me grabbing the bull by the horns. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, there you go, folks. Uh, the punishment is paid. Chief, if memory serves me correctly, you owe one more. Not to not to bring this up, but I, I don't know I don't, what don't, the additional one should be, though. Yeah, we'll have to have the listeners decide that one. I don't have any good ideas. I think we had said I have to write an article for the postcincy.com. Mm. The, the ultimate punishment, having to write something. That's pretty rough. You should you should have to do just the match recap of uh, of the Philadelphia game. That's your punishment. <laughs> 
well, whenever do we do want. decide a, uh, a punishment, uh, or if you have an idea for one, please send them on in. And uh, we will make sure uh, whoever it is, and particularly Chief, uh, is punished on this podcast. So there you go. Uh, hopefully you've all learned your lesson, and we will not be saying any more swear words on this podcast uh, anymore. Okay, well, I think that'll do it for this episode of the postcast. Uh, we will have a Thursday episode for folks. I don't know why, but keep an eye out for a Thursday episode. Um, I imagine it'll be our least downloaded episode ever. So if like four of you out there could just remember to do the uh, the old auto download, that'd be great. Uh, make sure we don't dip too low. Um, but otherwise. Uh, yeah, have a great Thanksgiving week. Uh, good luck to you, Chief, struggling through this week. And fuck Columbus. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cincy Postcast, which is a production of The Post Cincy. You can check us out at thepostcincy.com for all of our written content, as well as links to our social media. You can follow us on Twitter, and as well, you can join us on our Discord server. You can find links to that server both in this episode description as well as on our website. That is where most of our conversations are going on. We have a lovely community there talking about FC Cincinnati, MLS, anything and everything else and everything in between. We also want to give a huge thanks to Jim Trace and the Makers for providing all of the music you've heard throughout this episode. They're an amazing local Cincinnati band. Again, more information about them is in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to, and you've made it to the end, so I'm going to assume you liked it, or you just can't reach your stop button, please like us, review us, subscribe to us wherever you are getting your podcast. That is going to be really, really helpful. But more importantly, share this with a friend. A personal recommendation helps sped a podcast so much further. So please share this if you know somebody in your life who's an FC Cincinnati fan, an MLS fan, somebody that you think would enjoy this. Pass it on over. Thank you so, so much again for listening. It blows me away that people continue to listen to us. And thank you so, so much again.